Well, welcome to another edition of Black Men Speak. It's a podcast that highlights ordinary black men doing extraordinary things. Uh, I'm your host, Keith Dent, and today um, we're going to have a great show. We're going to be talking uh, about Hoboken today. Um, Shout out to Hoboken and for all the folks that live there, party there, and uh, have a great time. Um, You know, of course, Hoboken is known for you know, especially it's it's restaurants, nightlife. Uh, I guess SantaCon, if they still have SantaCon, yes, <laughs> I do think yes, they still yes, have it. And um, and you know, it's just a place where millennials and young people hang out, and you know, have fam- you know, big family oriented uh, town. And so, a lot of people just go there just to hang out and have a good time. But today, we're going to be talking about Hoboken's other nightlife or street life. Um, and it's it's something that you you won't necessarily see or really even notice. Um, and the reason why I thought it was great to kind of highlight today uh, for a couple of reasons. One, for those who may not know, you know, I've besides doing this wonderful podcast, you know, I oversee uh, homeless and teen or a teen runaway and homeless center in Jersey City. And so you would think, how is that How's that even possible? Especially for the age that I look um, oversee, 12 to 17. Um, but there are, there are a lot, or it, it is a, a situation where you can, there are a lot of homeless teens and runaway teens in Jersey City or in Hudson County and just all over uh, New Jersey that we just don't really talk about. And uh, had a meeting uh, and ran into the, my guest who is um, was just very dynamic. Uh, just so when I walk in, I, I was really struck by, you know, the fact that what he, he commanded uh, respect. Um, you could tell um, that he loved the place. Um, you know, he is a pastor, so maybe that was it too. You know, <laughs> the Lord was just on his heart. And, um, you know, as I, you know, got to talk to him, a little more, I really thought, you know, hey, this is an ordinary black man just doing extraordinary things and should be on the show. And so the name that I'm going to talk you to talk to you with tonight is Reverend Dr. Anthony Forbes. Uh, not the magazine, um, but he is uh, the shelter manager of the Hoboken Shelter, which opened in 1982. So the great thing about that is that he grew up in Hoboken. And so he has a history of Hoboken that most of us probably don't even know or have even thought about. And so I'm going to bring him up and we're going to just talk about his journey uh, and his story because I don't know a lot of it, um, you know, except for his bio. And I can't wait to really hear more. And so, uh, Reverend Forbes, how you doing tonight? Hey, hey, how you doing, Keith? Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Oh, hey, you know, so the pleasure's all. Welcome me into your space like this. Thank you. Yeah, much. yeah. Thank you for your kind words, too, my friend. Oh, of course, of course. So, yeah, the pleasure is all mine. And so, Hoboken, the, the other street life. Now, I know we talked a little bit early, and you you um, thought it was appropriate that I titled it that. And so, we will get to all that in a minute. But Absolutely. what I wanted to talk about, you. so you are a native of Hoboken. Born and raised, fifty-three so, years. I'm here in town. Fifty-three years. So, so Ali, we're you know almost the same, almost the same age. We're in the same that same same bracket generation. Yeah. So, you grew up a Hoboken in the eighties, right? So seventies. Oh, seventies. Okay. Yeah, seventies. Seventies. Okay, so, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, that's when Little, Little League, PAL, Pop Warner, all of that was in the seventies. Okay, gotcha. So, so tell me what it was like growing up in Hoboken back then? Oh, man, it, 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 um, it, it was different than it is today. Um, it was, a, we were a blue collar town all day long. Um, factories, mom and pop shops. You know, we had Maxwell House, we had Levelor, we had Lipton Tea, we had uh, Newman Leather Factory. Uh, we had a couple of soap companies, Wonder Bread. Um, you know, so I grew up with, with, with the understanding that, you know, you know, you got to work hard 
in order to uh, achieve the things that you want to achieve. So growing up in Hoboken, it was definitely a blue blue collar town. A lot of Russians, Ukrainians, uh, Jewish, Italians, Irish, Blacks, uh, Hispanics. Um, you know, growing up in the projects, you know, the the Black and Brown folks when I grew up were were the minority. You know, we were like the third or fourth Black family in our building. You know, on our floor we had Russians, we had um, Jewish folks, we had people from um, from Ukraine. So you know, we were hungry. So we were just you know a, a melting pot of, of people uh, growing up in the '70s and the '80s. Everyone hung out. Everyone knew each other. Um, every everybody every's mother was your mother if they saw you somewhere that you had no business being. So it, it was a wonderful time um, to grow up in Hoboken, um, kind of set the tone for uh, who I am today, the character that I am today, the, the, the um, 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 vast understanding of different uh, races, because I grew up, you know, sleeping at Italian's house, Spanish folks' house, Irish people houses. So, you know, there, none of that racism, so to speak, or classism um, existed um, during the 70s and 80s when we grew up in Hoboken. Everybody was oh. the same. It's one zip code. So you can't be better than me because we all live in the same city. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, so it, it, was little, it, it, was, it, was, it was one zip code that was always our flavor. We had one zip code and everybody played with everybody. All flavors played with everybody. Slept in each other's houses, went been down the shore, Atlantic City, vacations with folks. You know, it was just one big, beautiful melting pot of a city. Okay. So was there a shift in the town? And when did that really happen? The, the, the beginning of the, of the shift, a good friend of mine, um, big shout out to George Summers, who was actually um, um, my lawyer. He was a graduate student in the early 80s. And he used to come down to the park when we played there. He used to bring a dog with him, his dog. The dog used to always come on the court, man. We used to get so angry with him. Because, listen, <laughs> dude, we're from the city, man. No dogs come on the court, so stop it. You know, but he used, he used to 10, 15 minutes, he had to get the dog off. So lo and behold, um, we had a paper that was called the Hoboken um, uh, Victoria. And it had on the front page, he was so angry one day on the front page, it had the invasion of the yuppies, right? And he was angry about that term. So while we're sitting on the bench in between games, um, I asked him, I said, why are you upset about, about what is that saying? What does that term mean? He said, they're talking about me. They're talking about me. And I said, well, who are you? He said, I'm a yuppie. And then that's when I first found out, probably 15, 16, when I first found out that yuppie was an acronym for the young urban professionals. So those guys started moving in in the mid 80s and, and it just took off from there. We never, we haven't looked back since. Mm. We're still wow. moving forward, still moving forward. On top of still that, we had forward. the fires um, about five years earlier before the shift came, they were burning a lot of the Latinos and blacks out of the out of the walk-ups, um, and you know, never found out who did them. But so many lives were lost during that during that period as well. Just, if you ever get a chance, just look up the Hoboken fires, and you'll see the history of how they burnt us out to get us out of those those you know million dollar condos now. Wow, I mean so that's that, interesting. So that yeah, because you hear because you hear about the the South Bronx fires, but not necessarily yeah, about no, the. Nobody, nobody really pays that. That's how the Hoboken Shelter was formed four years ago. A bunch of clergy got together as buildings were burning. Families had nowhere to live, so they decided to um, take do shifts and uh, and stay at the shelter. You know, one clergy person that would take a night to watch over the families. So that's how that's how we started because of those fires. If it wasn't the fires, then we wouldn't even be here as a shelter. And so was there, because I don't want to get too far in the weeds on this, because we won't get to no, all the No, you can go left. It's, I mean, all it's, the questions, it's very but, interesting. It really but is, did, so living. did, they didn't, so did they, would you say the city didn't investigate the fires? I, you know, it's probably a combo piece, mm -hmm. um, considering the time and the people that were being burnt out. Um, I, you know, I love the city, but I, I don't think we did enough job. Even till today, uh, you know, folks still talk about it who, who lived here. When I see folks haven't been here for years, one of the first things we talk about is like, wow, man, I'm glad, you know, we're still here. But what about this one from this, from my class and that one from my class that got, you know, that died, that perished throughout these fires? 
And they so never just, found anybody. Never, ever, never, ever anybody was ever brought to justice for that. And just for a perspective, the I would and I don't know because I hadn't really heard about the fires. The these fires were along Washington Street, which is kind yes, of the main they, yes, thoroughfare. Yes, were, yes. The main thoroughfare for all the restaurants Absolutely, and yes, the yes. prime real estate. And we had a couple on the side streets that are now um, million dollar condo buildings that were vacant lots for a while. Okay, okay, great. Thanks for the context, just for people that may not know of Hoboken and um, that are listening today. So so you mentioned before that your where you grew up was diverse, uh, but also um, you had mentioned or you know, in your bio that the goal of you as, as kids is that you wanted to grow up and become rich and important. And so was that the, the mantra of all the kids in the, you know, no matter what race, or was that just um, primarily African-Americans or people of color? You know, it's, it's, I mean, that's the theme in, in every urban community. You know, you, know, you want to keep your nose clean. You know, you want to go to college. You want to finish. You want to have the right job. You want to have live in the right neighborhood, you want to drive the right car, you want to marry the right woman, you want to have 2.5 kids, you want to go on two vacations <laughs> a year, you want 401k, and after it's all done, you want to get that watch with your name on it, okay? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. you know, so, you know, that's something that's spoon-fed to us, especially in the urban community. So that's spoon-fed to us, and we take it and we swallow it. And when, you, when you're hustling and you're grinding, you're in the gym and you you're doing the layups and you're doing the wind sprints and you're doing the crawls, you're doing everything you have to do to get to the next level. And when you're finally there, it's like, okay, you know, and you're looking around and you're the only one there of, of your persuasion. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a false narrative um, that's being spoon fed, especially in the urban community, that that is our happiness. And I was probably at my miserableness if we can use that word today, um, because I brought, I brought into the line, I brought into the, um, the, the story of, Hey, you know, I did it now I'm here. So I have to ignore everybody else because I'm here. And it's just, it, it wasn't the life for me. Um, and it's not the life that anyone should be promoting. Um, cause it doesn't bring you happiness. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care where you live, what you drive. What's, what's cards in your wallet? At the end of the day, if you're not internally happy, none of those things make you happy. And I found that out the hard way. Mm-hmm. And that, that is a great segue. So, because you were, you did say that you're miserable. So you had, you had actually had achieved the goal that you had set out for and when you were, when you were young or adolescent. Yeah. Um, by, you know, you were able to get that job First of uh, all, I was to keep my nose clean for okay. as 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 a, as you know as a, as a man of color growing up during the crack era. Uh, okay, and was know, it, was that hard where yeah, you grew up? Yeah, it was up? hard because when I came back home from college um, for spring, and I where did you go? Just went to where did you go to college? I, the first school I attended was uh, University of South Dakota. I was there on the football scholarship. Oh, okay, and and when I came back home, um, oh man, I mean. I had, I, you know, I was gone for about 18 months. And when I came back, it was unbelievable. The scenery that was, that, that was down in the, in, in the Hoboken housing and the projects, it was unbelievable. Vampire Central, man. I've never really? seen anything. Yeah, folks who I had left earlier, I'm talking beautiful people, man, that I left when I left the school. And then when I came back just 18 months later, uh, it, it was it was a lot going on. It was a lot going on. So it was challenging. I didn't go back to school either when I went back. I didn't go back. Started hanging out with the wrong guys, and it, it was because of a lot of my coaches were police officers and teachers, and they would see me hanging out. And they would pull me over. Go get in the car. Let's take a ride. What are you doing? What's going on? So I I always had people pouring into me, um, like why are you hanging on this corner? This is not your life. This is not for you. And, you know, after a while, you know, you start to see no one's going anywhere. So what are you doing? So I ended up rolling back in school, which was St. Peter's College. They started a football program again. And then I went and played with them. And then, you know, things I had to had to get out of that environment. If not, I, I would have been part of it without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. 
Yeah, and when you as soon as you said South Dakota, I was like, oh, I know that must have been rough. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> up was there. rough. Listen, they sent me coats out there, and it was crazy because nothing they sent me was warm enough. You know, <laughs> listen, listen. Let me tell you something. I I I, I accepted sight unseen. <laughs> I just said, okay, let's go. You want me? I want you. I want anybody who want me. So let's right. go. So I went. I'm going to play my first year. All right. That's all I needed to hear. And there was a couple of us that left. Um, and eventually, within two years or so, everybody came back. Mm. That I mean, that's, unless you're a brother who who was born up in that neck of the woods, you're not. You, <laughs> you can't come from this side of the world, this side of the states, and go on that side and not know what you. You know, you ain't, you ain't never seen snow like that. Well, let me tell you, so I never. I ain't think you can get that cold. That's that's like beyond freezer. We got a deep freeze in our house we grew up with. It was colder oh. than that. That was in that, that was the analogy I used. I was like, man, it's colder than a deep freeze in the living room, in the kitchen. It's cold. Wow. Over there. I gotta go. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, that's that's good that um you had someone in your corner that saw the path that you were leading down and yeah. and and miss and took that direction for you to change course. So Little bumps and bruises along the way, mm -hmm. but I, I was able to to um, to, to stay focused and and navigate um, what I needed to navigate through, so I can separate myself from the pack, um, which I have always been that person to begin with anyway. Um, right, so I right. just tapped back into that, not knowing that I was tapping into that. That uh, that's just a natural ability I have is to separate myself from everyone else who's doing everything else. Right. But then you, st but you still had other factors that led to being miserable. So what were the what were those factors? Uh, I mean, uh, other than just be listen, it's like it's like winning an Oscar, right? And your whole life you think about winning this Oscar and what it would feel like once you're holding it in your hand and 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 you're, you're looking at it and you're sharing it. At the end of the day. That Oscar is not making you happy, and that's what I thought. That the money, the bank accounts, would make me happy, and it did not, because I relied heavily on status mm. in order to 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 make me happy. Because that's what I thought I needed to do. I needed this status to make me happy to the point where you know you, you contemplate suicide and you're talking about taking your life. Because it's like I did everything I can do to get here. Now I'm here. Now where do I go from here? Like what's next? You know, you know what's gonna make me happy? So you know, a couple failed attempts on you know trying to do something stupid um, landed me in in church one day, and and that's what started this process. Well, thank yeah, thanks for sharing that yeah. because um, I know there's you know we didn't mean to go back into mental health, I'm sure we'll touch upon it a little bit. I think a lot of the, you know, a lot of people have that illusion of what the success is about, especially in our communities of color, um, whereby if you are able to get that perfect job, um, have the family or just have, you know, the other the material things that go along with it, that you're going to be successful and that doesn't always that's not always the case no it's not always um and, and so most of the times it's not the case right and even with your circle did you have a did you have a strong enough circle that could support you or was it that you didn't have enough or or did they see you in a certain way that also add added to the miserable no mess? i mean what 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 added what added to it is that everyone who saw me just assumed that, like, wow, man, you know, you driving this, you living here, man, you, man, I wish, man, if I had your hand, I'd throw mine away, that type of conversation, you mm. know? But, but little did they know, I'm like, you know, it's not what you think. It's definitely not, not what you think, to the point where right. there was days or weeks where I wouldn't even go to work. I wouldn't even leave the house. I'll just work from home before it became fashionable working from home. I was mm. living in Riverdale, a section of the Bronx. And, okay. um, and yeah, you know, again, I separated myself. You know, I got out, I'm over there, I'm, I'm up in this nice Jewish area, 
um, in a co-op building. You know, I'm doing my thing. You know, I'm making 150 just showing up. You know, bonuses right. and, and 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 compensation. You know, you know, close to 200 some years. You know, and you know, and you walk into um, our Tono up in, in 50, 57th Street, you know, we pick up a ah, pick up a Rolex today, 4,500, no big deal. You know, still not happy, still not happy, still not happy. So, and it was probably also hard to share your you, 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 feelings and, at all. And, well, you know, I've been black my whole life, right? <laughs> and, um, and in our community, that's not a conversation you have with anybody, period. You know, so that's not promoted at all. That's why I'm so excited over the last several years that athletes, musicians, and people of influence, I say, hey, listen, I need to take a break. You know, this is like Simone Biles. She was like, wait a minute, no, no, no. She was in the Olympics. And she said, I need a mental health moment, you know? So I'm happy that folks now are starting to recognize that, yeah, sometimes you need to pause for a minute and just kind of put things in perspective. But I didn't, you know, I was trying to figure it out to figure it out, but not figuring it out. And I was all over the place. And um, right. yeah, to the point where I just, I just, you know, thoughts were everywhere. And um, I had to really regroup. And the only way I thought I can regroup is just by, you know, checking out. But that that's, that's not an option. Right. But, but then you also, at some point, uh, end up to be homeless. That was that was later on. Um, oh, much later. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That was that was before I still before I got to this point, or uh, and actually while I was in this point, um, after I finished up at Nyack Theology Seminary in Manhattan, um, I was married at the time, and I had twins, and I had a church in Hoboken. For 420 Adams Street, the former mayor mm. was 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 uh, my uh, one of my high school teachers, and allowed me to use his social club. You know, big shout out to uh, Mayor Russo. He passed away since, but his kids are still around. So every Sunday, every Saturday night, going to Sunday, Saturday was a miserable day for me because I had to do this thing called church. You know, and I had to tell people they were no good, that they were going to hell. And, um, you know, I'm not a fire and brimstone type of guy because I always have people pouring into me, but I can't pour into, into anybody else. I got to strip them down first and then bring them back. And, you know, that 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 really wasn't my message. And, um, you know, you know, through navigating through that is how I ended up over at the shelter. You know, that's a you know, I don't know if we want to venture over to that, but um, that's how I got here at the oh, shelter okay. It's because I was running from traditional um, religion. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, then we'll step back a little bit because I wanted to. One I really, something else, and I can't. Yeah, yeah. Because I because I, I did want to talk about. I didn't know at what point that happened, but you. So you chose to go into the ministry. Yeah, because you know, I, I everything else I was trying to do to leave here wasn't working. You know, so I said, okay, maybe there is something for me to to you know to do in life that's bigger than me. And, um, you know, I was born and raised Catholic. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't know much about the Bible. You know, I, I just know, you know, the saints and, and Mary and Jesus and all of the players on, on the team. So um, at that point, um, you know, I went on this quest and I started watching a lot of televangelists and, um, and I started feeling more and more comfortable with, with the idea of uh, spirituality and idea of religion. And, you know, one thing led to another. Um, I kept seeing, every time I would come down to Westside Highway on my way into work, I would always see mm-hmm. a sign. Um, uh, the time is now, Nyack Seminary School. And I was like, huh? I drive down the street, I drive down this highway every day. I've never mm-hmm. saw an advertisement. And I'm on my way to Staten Island Hospital. So I parked downtown by the Barry Tunnel. That's where my office was, right down the block from 9-11. Um, I was in, in the city that day, actually. So I would catch the ferry, and I'm sitting on the ferry, Staten Island Ferry, on the way to Staten Island. And what do I see? Nyack Theology Seminary, um, enrolled now. And I was like, wow. So I saw that. I saw that advertisement several times before. I said, you know what? OK, maybe this is it. So that's when I reached out, and um, and that started a whole chain reaction, man, um, to the point where I am now. 
Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's great how um, the Lord will put signs in front of you. Yeah. And and it's multiple times and different places to say, yeah, okay, yeah, absolutely. You know, here, you know, this is what you should be doing. And then, but the real, the real thing is, if will we follow the the that, signs that's, that that's, are yeah, toward that's, us? Yeah. yeah, that's that. That's it. That's it. And you know, and when you look back on your life, and you look at, and you look forward to your mission, you're like, wow, it all added up. It all added up hand in hand, you know, I ran an at-risk youth program in Essex County for 13 years. And uh, I dealt with the um, juvenile delinquents from 12 to 18. So once you got arrested, you got put on the ankle monitor, mm. you get sent to me um, to to work with you. And I will report up to the judges and to the county um, officials, whether, hey, send you down to Jamesburg or you can be rehabbed, you know. And, um, and because of my upbringing, I was able to to really break through and get through to a lot of these guys. So, you know, it's your, 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 your test is also your testimony and um, you can utilize it from that perspective. If you understand what it is, or what it looks like. Right. And so when I guess, so then all of those experiences really helped you to change your perspective or outlook on your life and what it is that you were called to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And so, in, 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 and we touched upon a little bit of that you then became homeless uh, due to certain circumstances. So what was that? What was that? Because you, you, were at, you were at the pinnacle of what, I guess, we would say being successful. Yeah. And then you get to a point where you're, you're probably at the lowest point yeah. in your real, life. Real. And so... What was what was that like? Well, at at, at the time of, of the transition, I'm going through a um, divorce. Um, I had a couple options, you know. Do do I do what typical um, stereotypical um, black men do when they leave? They take the money with them, you know. And hey, you, you fend for yourself. I'm going to do me. Um, so I chose the opposite. Um, you know, I grew up with two parents in the household. Um, they held it down through thick and thin. So since um, we were going through this, it had nothing to do with the kids. So let me still take, handle my responsibilities, but I can figure out where to stay night to night. That's not a problem. And, you know, that's what I did. You know, I figured it out for, I would have to say, seven, eight years. I bounced around. Meanwhile, still running shelter, still um, running the youth program in Newark. I used to sleep in my office probably most of the times. But, you know, you know, not, not having a turnkey didn't define who I was. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that developed into a, a serious mantra of mine. You know, you're, you're just because I have nowhere to call my own doesn't mean I'm homeless. Just that means I don't have a key of my own. Okay. Okay. You know, and I chose to keep it close to the vest. Only certain folks in my circle knew um, um, what was going on because of the pity factor that um, it's associated with folks find out what your situation is. And also that was by design that I did not say anything to anybody because then it becomes patting you on the shoulders. Okay. Anything you need, what can I do? Now you start treating me differently. And, and now that's going to put me somewhere else mentally, you know? So I chose right. to only have a handful of folks know um, what was actually going on um, because and when you're when you're when you're at ground zero and, you, and you're starting at scratch, um, only person that really needs to understand, that knows what's going on is you. And I, and I preach that all day long. Um, you know, just because you're going through this doesn't mean this is the end of your life because I've been through it as well. And if right. you keep it tight to the vest, keep a game plan, you're all right. On top of that, I had a, a, my older child. She was in college, um, so her, her, me and her mom, we were paying for that. So, you know, that was another reason that money was going somewhere else also. So, right. you know, if I can couch surf for a while, that's what I did. You know, I couch surf. Um, I'm I might have been around your place maybe 10, 20 times throughout my time. You know, okay. I'm back. <laughs> I said, listen, I'm good. I'm out, I'm out eating every night. We go out, so the money is not a problem. 
I just, you know, I'm just, it's not my time yet. I'm not worried about that at this moment. Okay. And I just bounced around, you know, and then when, when the time came and I knew when it was came, I said, All right, I'm ready. Right, right. And so, yeah, that's great. And we'll, there is a question I have for you because I did have a, I have a thought. But then, so tell me how you, how did you end up at the Hoboken shelter? Oh, uh, wow. Where you started to work there and... I started volunteering first. Volunteering, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I'm coming down third. I'm coming down Third Street. McDonald's is at the top of the block, so I'm okay. coming down Third Street. Me yeah, and yeah, two, okay. Me right. and my twins at the time, and they were young. And there was a uh, gentleman standing at the back door. Uh, big shout out to James Sitman. He's one of the senior guys on the team now. Um, case manager, great case manager. Just retired from Rutgers too. Does a lot of housing programs over there for them. So, um, so he's standing at the back door. I kind of introduced myself, and at this time, remember, I was done with church, done. I was done with telling people they're no good. It was a horrible feeling, man. It truly is a horrible feeling. I know people that are sitting in my audience. I know what you do. You know, I know the life you live in, and I got to call you on it, you know, and I got to talk down to you about it. So that, that, wasn't, that wasn't my message. So I asked him, is there anything I can do? Um, he said, well, can you do groups? I said, well, I'm a preacher. I'm a minister. It's what I do. I talk for a living. So um, he said, okay, well, Sunday's not good for you, so you can come back next Saturday. So I came back next Saturday, I, and, and I'm still there on a Saturday. I'm still there, <laughs> you know? Right. I have a, I, so it went from volunteering, doing groups one day a week to doing groups two days a week. I shut the church down. I was done with that, and I did all my time volunteering, doing groups um, at the shelter, really, really pouring in to folks who needed to hear some really inspirational stuff. And um, and that's, and one thing led to another. And next thing you know, the executive director one day was like, listen, we got one spot. We got an overnight spot if you want it. I was like, overnight? You see my resume? I'm not working overnight. Oh man, that overnight thing, I I, I understand that. Yeah, <laughs> Trying man. to get people I, to work I, overnight. Yeah, I, I've worked overnight before coming in in the morning though. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. But, nah, I was like, ooh, overnight at the shelter? I was like, I don't know, man. That's a whole nother realm of understanding, you know? So I took up one. I said, listen, I want to be part of the team. So because I wanted to be part of the team, I took it. And, you know, one thing led to another. And now I'm in the driver's seat. So, you know? so now that's that's fascinating because so what was that first night like if you can remember that first night was fighting to keep one eye open you know not two eyes I, <laughs> I, was, I was i resigned so i was gonna lose one of the eyes i already resigned to that fact i was gonna lose one of them but i said i can't lose both of them and so you know i'm coffee and pacing myself and just you know just it was it was a culture shock man i mean that was my very, very, very first, my first night was my very first experience about sleeping, about what it's like to sleep out of shelter, man, to see it. It was like, whoa, I was literally just thrown right in. It was like I did one night with the, um, with the, with the original overnight guy, and then the next night I was by myself. And mm. it was an eye-opener, man. It was really, really, truly an eye-opener. The things that did a pillow a pillow we take for granted a pillow a comforter mm. a sheet a nice bed to sleep in all of that is taken for granted all of that is taken for granted it all came to a head that night and i said you know what this is this this is where i want to be this is what i want to do and um i'm you know 13 14 years in the game now um and it's been a wonderful ride and it's a great ride and and i love it yeah, before I ask my next question, so kind of sh- set the scene for how the Hoboken Shelter operates. Um, what are some of the components of the Hoboken Shelter, and what are the, some of the things, services that you provide that try to, I guess, um, humanize the individuals that have to come there? You know, my, my motto is always, you know, radical hospitality and restoring dignity um, because 
one thing folks on the street don't have is dignity um, because of their situation. And radical hospitality is not something that they they're accustomed to seeing because they're they're on the street. So no one, you know, no one looks down, they look away. You know, it's another say, saying I always say, don't look away, look down, you know. Um, so us here at the Hoboken Shelter, you know, we're 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 like a a a wraparound resource center where um, we have case management, we're a drop-in center, we're also a shelter, we're a soup kitchen. Um, we also have a housing program um, where we house upward to almost 30 folks um, throughout Hudson County um, and, uh, our and, and our housing program. So, you know, we have case management um, seven days a week, not social service case manager seven days a week because social services are closed on the weekends. But you can still fill out applications for birth certificates, social security card. So all those things that we can do from a social service standpoint, we can also do on the weekend, but it's computer related. Um, but our our main thrust is um, ending homelessness one one person at a time. And that's what we do. It's, it's a one person at a time operation. We, you know, we help a lot of people, but we can only help one at a time. Right. And birth certificates and social security cards are important because why because you can't move without them mm -hmm. you can't get an apartment you can't get um you can't get public assistance you can't get anything without a birth certificate and a social security card every county every state has resources money allocated to their county to the state based on um the homeless census that we do every year so the number in Hudson County is pretty high. So we, we get a decent amount of money in our county. Um, not like Camden and Passaic County, some of the larger counties, Essex County, a larger county, those guys get more money than us. However, if every county has money for their, for every state has money for their county to assist in programs. And there are programs to get you off the street. But you know, folks don't know about that. I didn't know until I showed up and got knee deep involved and i found out like whoa wait a minute so you don't have to be on the street you're on the street because you want i don't have my birth certificate i don't have my social security card well you can use the hoboken shelter as your mailing address so you can retrieve those documents so we'll fill them out mm. for you online and they come to us and now we start the paperwork for you once we have your once we have your two documents social security and the birth certificate you are 99.9 percent off the street. The other mm. percent is you doing all the legwork. Now you have to go to this appointment. Then from that appointment, you got to go to that appointment. And in that process is where we lose people because the bounce back muscles are gone. You know, it's like every year I'm getting to the championship. One of the years I'm going to win it. And Michael Jordan, what happened? You won six in a row. <laughs> you know what I mean? So right, you got to right. keep moving. Moving. Keep moving. Yeah. A lot of folks fall off. A lot of folks fall off. Uh, not even halfway, a quarter of the way. Oh, no, nah, Rev. Uh, it was raining. Oh, it was raining? Really? <laughs> oh, uh, it was raining. My bag got wet and my and my bus tickets were all messed up. Okay, mm. let, me see. let me see the messed up tickets. That's probably just wrinkled. Let me see what they look like. Oh, man, I don't have them. You know, so... You know, so self, self, yeah. So self sabotage is a big self self sabotage mm -hmm. is part of the, um, the um, the, you know. Let me you know. Uh, let me let me. It's part of my story. You know. Oh, poor me. It's part of my story. It's just one more thing that happened to me. You know what I mean? So you know. So we try to eliminate that um, mm -hmm. by you know, tough love. Um, right, tough love. Right. I said, you know, you know, you're complaining, you're sleeping on the street, but you can't go to the appointment where tickets are provided for you and they're waiting on you. But sleeping on the street is easier. You know, you try to put things in perspective. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Right, but, right. But, but, you know, for folks who don't understand, um, the vast majority of people on the street are on the street um, not because they lack of resources. I don't want nobody to think that. It's not that. It's a lot of other issues that are going on. Lack of motivation, lack of focus, lack of understanding. You know, you develop a community. There's a sub-community, man, that's on the street. There's a shelter community, and then there's a street-dwelling community. It's two different communities. 
the folks who are looking for shelter or come through the shelters to seek aid, those folks never stay on the street. They're in and out. They come in, mm -hmm. get the resources they need, they keep it moving. But the, the most vulnerable group are the street dwelling. Those are the ones with no bounce back muscles. Those are the ones that said, hey, I'm done. I checked out. When it's time for me to leave, it's going to be time for me to leave. Let me drink my life away until it's time to go. And we lose a lot every year um, on substance abuse because they just gave up. And a lot of these folks receive subsidies from the government and they drink it all away. A huge misconception with drugs, a lot of alcoholism, not that much drugs, but a lot of alcoholism. Mm -hmm. A lot of alcoholism. Yeah, okay. a lot of alcoholism. They're just checking out, man. They just want to be drunk all day long. They say being high is not good for them. They like to be drunk. It's easier. Okay, that's one of the misconceptions. And any other misconceptions in the homeless population that everyone's most lazy people don't and, see? Yeah, folks, everyone's lazy, everyone's on drugs, everyone's, you know, delinquent. Um, you know, there's people out here with real stories. You know, there's school teachers, there's principals, there's investment bankers, you know, there's police officers, there's firemen, folks who got, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, somebody got, you know, was on the job, got hurt, and they prescribed the pain meds and they went mm -hmm. left with them you know you know they went left with them threw everything out the window everything out the window went from you know pain pills to to cocaine to shooting heroin you know and i hear you are was the prominent uh lieutenant of your force of the uh of, and he was a hudson county kid too um you mm -hmm. know another hudson county kid fireman same thing you know got injured on a job and spiraled out of control so it can happen to anybody um and there were plenty of nights when I was walking around um, waiting for, you know, one of my friends to come home so I could crash on the couch because they were out. I wasn't rushing them. So I'm roaming around the streets. Man, that's a real thing, man. That's a real, real thing. Roaming around the streets, you know, you know, and all my money was was calculated. I couldn't spend a dollar nowhere because I had money going to other places. Right. You know, so I was real tight. I mean, real tight, you know, grabbing slices. You know, I got a couple crazy food stories, man. But <laughs> yeah, man, I'm telling you, uh -huh. it, you know, it gets to a point where, you know, you're looking left and looking right, and you're snatching that slice off the top of the pile. So you just dropped mm. that watch, so you took one bite, and she just dropped it right on the top. And, you know, I come by, scooped it up like a vulture, <laughs> you know? Wow, yeah, right. Because I, I didn't have $2 to buy a slice, you know? So I was just hanging out in Pizzeria. It was cold. I had the hood on. And and I saw her. She had two slices. She she bit one and dropped both of them in the garbage. I said, yo, that's crazy. And I took both of them. You know, that, that was a real moment for me. That was a real, real, real moment for me. That Amazing. Street, that Amazing, street yeah. Is, is real, man. If you, you have nowhere. And if you have no, again, I could have went anywhere I wanted, relative-wise. But again... I needed to keep my my focus, you know, because I knew right. where I was going. I knew what I needed to accomplish. And I didn't have time for you to pat me on the back saying it's going to be all right, because I know it's going to be all right. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, I'm glad you shared that, because I think also maybe one of the misconceptions is that the homeless, they don't have intelligence. Oh, that's me. That's... And so you were, you, I mean, you... you you chose that because you had to, you had other obligations that you yes, had to, yes, yes. that you um, took care of before yourself. Um, and maybe based on your strength and, you know, of your upbringing, you knew that these other things, um, you would much rather choose homelessness as opposed to your ex-wife and kids being homeless. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, so... It's it's yeah, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't really an option um, because of my upbringing and, you know, you know, being an athlete, you know, there's always enough time left. Always. There's always mm -hmm. enough time left on the clock. Always, always. The glasses always half full. You know what I mean? Never half empty. Half full. That means half full. I can pour more in. it. So I always kept that mantra and um, not understanding how big mantras play in our lives. You know, we all have them. We all right. have a mantra. We all have it. 
you know, whether you know it or not, you're saying something repeatedly over and over again. again. Okay. And that becomes your mantra and that's what shows up in your life. So, you know, and, you know, so I was just putting all the things that I've learned um, to practice. And, and, and that's what I teach, you know, for folks to, you don't like this, what, the, 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 what you're listening to, change the station. That's right. it. If you don't right. like what you're watching, change the station. You know what I mean? So, you know, I, I say God is like a GPS system. You know, right. you know where just put your address in there. No matter how much left you make, it's going to always make you go right. You know, so that was another thing. My mantras um, every day in every way is getting better and better. I say that as to this day, I still say that every day right. in every way is getting better and better. And right. That's part, part of my life. That's how I live. So then. And that's great. And how, so how did um, how did actually street life ministry come about? Oh, man. Well, um, street life was born out of the pandemic. Um, so all of a sudden, the pandemic hit us right in the face with, with a brick. And all the hangouts, all the stomping grounds in the city closed down. So now not only were our day to day guests were on the street, Folks who never came to us were also on the street now. They had nowhere to go. The Starbucks, mm -hmm. the Panera's, the McDonald's, the Dunkin' Donuts, all the places, the library, everywhere they tucked, ducked in for, for shelter throughout the day um, were closed. So we had an enormous amount of people on the street. So we started, we already had an outreach lunch program that I, that I do at the shelter. We already had that, but we never had a night one. So we started going out at night. Um, under the under my director, big shout out to Jacqueline, um, leadership. She said, "Rev, you know, I think we should do night outreach." So it was throughout the night outreach when I started seeing my Hoboken friends on the street were telling me about other areas that also folks are on the street and they need the same help that I'm giving them. So I started going to other places, General Square, New York City, West New York, North Bergen. Um, 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 Essex County, Penn Station. I even did some stuff at Forty Deuce in the city, and that's that's when the groundwork started laying. I started laying the groundwork for for street life, because there's a whole sub community that does not come to the shelter that nobody knows about, and those are the ones that street life uh, caters to: the street dwelling, homeless, LGBTQ plus community, um, at risk youth. Um, AKA juvenile delinquents. So anybody living on the street, our goal is to connect the resources to you, not you to the resources, the resources to you. That's our mm. main focus. We bring you the resources. So if, so, you, if, if you're mm -hmm. sleeping, if you're, if you're a Jersey, a journal square guy and you're there and you're not moving, no matter how much I'm telling you, we can get you off the street. Okay. No problem. We're going to bring the social worker case manager to you. We're going to get your, your all the information we need to get from you to get your paperwork started, get your birth certificate on the way, to get your, your, your um, Social Security card on the way. Once we get those documents, we can, we can start moving forward. So that's why Street Life was born out of the need during the pandemic for folks who live on the street all year long, not the right. ones who come through the shelter. I, my, our main focus are the ones on the street, solely on the street, that have nowhere else to go, have basically given up to even walk seven blocks to the shelter. Those are folks that I that, that street life deals with. Because street life is okay. a real life, man. Right, you know, right. That, yeah, it takes me back to the Crusaders. And actually, <laughs> yeah, um, right. <laughs> but, but actually, that's where the name came from. Um, oh, it did? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you listen closely to the lyrics, She's talking about the life on the street and what it's like, and it's it's, it's unforgiving. You know, the streets are undefeated. Right. They haven't lost yet. And um, right. And, and yeah, you know. And my well, job, and when I put the title together, I was humming the song, but I was like, okay, is it? I didn't. <laughs> I was no, like, but listen, I didn't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's exactly where um, street life came from. Came from the Crusaders. So, is there a place in Hoboken that you know? Of course, people probably walk by every day where that street life is evident that most people don't know it's um mostly up by the up on frank sinatra drive closer to the train station okay um 
and um, your cats, um, McDonald's, uh, Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks, uh, CBS, Walgreens. Um, then you have on the opposite side, 14th Street underneath Willow Avenue Bridge, underneath the Park Avenue Bridge, underneath the Viaduct. You know, so there's, there's a, a whole sub-community that lives there. They don't go anywhere else. That's just where they live, on the outskirts of the city. Mm-hmm. And especially in, in, um, in Journal Square, and the Journal Square area, the cops are, are, are the police are, are, are cracking down a lot, so they're chasing a lot of the folks in the alleyways, so they're not there as much as they used to be. Um, there used to be a shower uh, program behind one of the uh, movie theaters, the, um, the one next to Boulevard Dogs, they used to be okay. One, yeah, there used to be one behind there. They took it away, so they they they're doing away with a lot of a lot of the things for the street uh, uh, dwelling homeless. But they're all over the county. Um, Harrison is 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 blowing up, blowing up with a lot of homeless in Harrison. I don't know where they're coming from, but Harrison, mm. another Hudson County city, um, right, right. Uh, West West New York, um, um, especially right off of Boulevard East, right on the side of the mountain. Uh, a good friend of mine, she took me down there, and I was amazed to see that outfit. I mean, it, the only thing they're missing is, is running water and electricity. It's the only thing they're missing. Those encampments are set up nice. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of South Americans over there. Um, a couple of my South American brothers that come to Hoboken, um, I started asking about some of the guys that used to come. I said, yeah, what happened to this one? What happened to that one? And they said, no, you know, they, they built a little shanty, a little shanty town over there. And I went with them one day. I said, wow, sure enough, there it is. Yeah, and now we're getting a lot of influx coming from uh, some migrants coming up. We, right. we started seeing a few of those show up at the shelter. Like, yeah, I can't, I can't wait to do, I can't wait to do the ride along. It'll be quite oh, fascinating. Be nice. yeah. yeah, we're going to hit the whole county. Yeah, um, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that. Um, um, I'd like to, you know, try to set that up around. Around Thanksgiving-ish, right around that area, because you'll get, you'll see a lot. Interesting, a lot, interesting. A lot, a lot going on, and this will be our first um, Thanksgiving on the block. We're calling it. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah, nice, yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, yeah, nice. So that's, that's that's the title. My um, director of social media. I think she's listening. Um, I haven't mentioned that to her yet. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah. where you have now. Yeah. So, so, so some of sorry, some of the stats man. of the shelter. Um, you know, you have overnight guests, and I think these are twenty-one numbers: twelve thousand seven hundred and five uh, soup kitchen meals, hundred and twenty thousand. Your average nightly guest thirty-five, um, and then me. Oh, fifty. Okay, <laughs> fifty. Uh, it's fifty now, and yeah, so 50. meals served daily three hundred and thirty, and I'm sure that's probably more that's, as well. But yeah. So, because you got to so take out a, folks who don't sit in. Yeah, yeah. but are, from, a, um, from a national perspective, so what does that say about the, our state of homelessness? First of all, um, let me digress for like two seconds. Um, I, you know, I, I can't stand that word, homeless. It's okay. Because when you, when you hear that word, homeless, if you close your eyes and you listen to the word, nothing positive pops in your mind at all at all okay so what do you normally say i like to say transitioning folks who are transitioning uh, okay because transitioning has more of a um half full understanding you know hey i'm transitioning i'm moving from one end to the other end you know so um that's one thing i would like folks to to start thinking about you know when you see folks you know they're transitioning the transitioning is what they're really doing they're transitioning okay well it won't necessarily tug at the grant heartstrings but no it, <laughs> it, it, it won't it, you know but but you know i'm, I'm a uh i'm a junior uh etymologist you know uh-huh. so <laughs> you know i like the study of words and the meaning of the words right so right. so so you know you can't you know you're throwing out this these terms that are not really a accurate you right, know right so that's all i'm saying so first is living you. on the street someone who is experiencing homelessness okay oh you're, okay yeah you know, you're, you're not because it's because it's a te- it can be temporary it's 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 only it's temporary. temporary yeah yeah it's, not, it's as temporary or as permanent as you want it to be right right yeah even if you have yeah i like that i like that perspective yeah yeah, yeah even if you have some sort of mental illness their programs to still house you that has wraparound services that you're not alone. 
They can still right. put you in different areas, in different situations that you can still be assisted. Right. Because I think we do, we do yeah. tend to look at homeless as a, uh, I guess, a state of mind or a state that you can't necessarily get out of without some assistance. That's also another yeah. thing. Um, and so it's not, it's really whereby the state of homelessness is really should be on the, on the person to, to transition and make that change if they so choose, which is a whole different, a lot more empowering than the way we view it and the way it's viewed in our country. Absolutely. Absolutely. Big, big, big difference. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, if, if we just empower folks, um, on a larger scale, to understand that you have the power to to get out of this. We have the resources as a state, as a county, but you have the, the power to act on it. And no. the only thing you need are two pieces of documentation, a birth certificate and a social security card. That's mm. it. And you can get started on government aid, which is the first step. They will apply you for TRA, apply you for section aid, you know, if you have a mental illness, there's there's, there's a MASH, which is mental health services for the homeless, um, where they'll scoop you up and, and, and evaluate you with their doctors and place you in your own house, in your own apartment, you know, or, right, your, own living, right. or your own living situations in a group, if that's what's needed. Right. Well, your social media person is watching probably. So that, that's your next, that's your next um, PSA. Yeah, <laughs> there you yeah. go. You know, exactly. it takes two, exactly. two documents. Yeah, so there you go. That's right. You know, yeah, it takes two to get, you know, get you out of that life. That's I, all, listen, you know, man, to get you out of that street life. Yeah, that's it. You want out of street life? That's right. Two documents. That's right. That's right. Um, so, in a two couple more things. So, in a full circle moment, you were just re, just in. I think it's in April, April, May, uh, May. April, you May, were, yeah. May. You were elected commissioner of the Housing Authority oh, after Hoboken. Full yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, how, how does now? How did it feel to oversee an area you once lived in? And, and then you know, basically, what are your future plans for? The housing authority. So, because you have a fascinating tale about the housing authorities. Yeah, I, I you know, I mean, I, I always say um, two things came out of Hoboken: Frank Sinatra and me. Is um, is is, 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 <laughs> is what is what I tell folks. Okay. I said me and Frank Sinatra, two most famous people that came out of Hoboken. But you know, I you know, the Hoboken housing is you know, it's my birthplace. It's my home. It's where I was raised. It's where I honed my skills and, and developed a character, the person that I am. My family lives there. My family still lives there. So um, to see it in its state now, um, it's it's sad because that's not the housing that I grew up in. That's not the community that I grew up in. You know, so um, we're not as community oriented as we were when we grew up. Um, I know I understand different time, different place, um, different people. Um, so what I, I would like to restore back is that sense of community, that sense of pride where you're from. Um, you know, we had we had captains on every floor. My mother was a captain. Um, every you know, there was five or seven apartments per floor, and and every month or every three months or two months, there was that captain was a captain for two months. That means you were in charge of cleaning the floor for two months. And, you know, that's that sense of community, that sense of pride. Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, you wouldn't throw something outside on the street. Even today, if I'm walking by and I see somebody drop something, I'll comment. I was like, wow, hopefully, you, apparently you don't live here because you're just throwing trash on the streets where I live. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize, you know, but mm -hmm. yeah. So, you know, one of the things is restoring um, um, the community atmosphere. Also, um, allow folks to, to understand that, you know, that housing, you know, public housing is temporary, you know, this, you know, you know, you know, there's two, two three, four generations and some housing developments, four or five generations, you know, and, and I would like to be part of stopping that cycle of, um, of folks who, um, who live in the housing, you know, it's, it's, you know, it was always taught to us, we were one and done. 
you know, uh, why would you want to live here? You know, don't live here. You, you know, we even hanging out as, as young kids, our parents allowed us to, to travel the city because why are you hanging out here? I don't want to see you out here. Go up to the park, go, go somewhere else. And that's when mm -hmm. we honed in on our athletic skills. And that's when we met other kids from the city that didn't look like us. But the common ground was sports. And because of sports, um, it allowed me and my brothers and my sisters to have a totally, totally, totally different perspective on what it is or what it's like to grow up in Hoboken because we didn't have that that stigma, you know, that most of the blacks and brown folks had who did not play sports. Right. So, you know, so that that that's one of the main things I, I would like to um, capitalize on is, is bringing back the community in, in the housing authority because it's it's lost. Right, right. Well, that that's great. Um, so I always like to end the show um, because, as you as you said, I mean, and I wanted to kind of bring this back because you it seems like at the time, you know, the mantra or the the thought you couldn't you couldn't really talk about one um, how well you were doing and then also how bad you were doing. So it was hard to just share anything about how you were feeling. So one of the things I like to do is as a black man or for this show is that everyone is doing such great work um, to be applauded. But one of the things that also can yet still go uh, undetected or unnoticed is our how we're doing. So always like the in the show with this question. So Reverend Forbes, how are you feeling right now as a black man? Very uh, empowered, um, very confident, very strong, um, understanding that, you know, my role in, in this, my role in this role is to stay strong and to be positive and to be the light in, 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 in dark in, in, in the dark places. And um, that's our that's how I'm feeling. I'm feeling real strong. I'm feeling like the light in dark places. Every anywhere and everywhere I go, the light is always going to be on. Um, because I am the light as well as everybody else is the light. But I know I am. So as a black man, I keep my light on at all times. Um, there's no oh I forgot. Oh I didn't remember or not. I wear my blackness on my sleeve and understand it every day that um, I have to represent myself as well as the group um, that I represent in a positive light. Well, Reverend Forbes, thank you for that. And I also just thank you for putting a shedding light on the other street life that is out here and actually painting a very good picture that things are okay and that um, things are going to get better. So, and that's a testament to just not only your work, but who you are as an individual. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate that. I got um, a couple of things coming up, if you don't mind me mentioning. Sure. Yeah, please. Um, please do. Um, we, we, are, we are having our um, fundraiser. Um, it's a happy hour fundraiser at um, the 23rd at uh, Wicked Wolf, which is on. And that's um, October or September? No, September next week. Okay. Um, then we have the Arts and Music Festival on October 2nd. Um, then we have a few other things. So they can always check uh, on my gram, um, streetlife underscore life underscore um, ministry. Or you can pull us up on the web, streetlifeministry.org. Uh, uh, I got to get used to saying all these things. <laughs> yeah, and I'll, you know, and <laughs> hopefully uh, people will go to that website and just and just support however yeah, you can yeah. and you never know where a volunteer opportunity could could change your life yeah yeah and also you can uh, uh download a uh, app called charity quest it's a volunteer app um that has volunteer opportunities throughout the city and between hoboken and jersey city so we're on there as well as the hoboken shelter as well as uh lunchtime ministries so there's, if you want to volunteer, you have opportunities to to volunteer. The fundraisers to raise a van so I can really do um, the street outreach the way we designed it to be. Um, 
with with a van as a wraparound type service. So we'll have everything we have in the shelter will be on the van, so you don't have to leave where you are. So so that's the purpose of the fundraiser. We do also have a GoFundMe um, um, as well. Just look up um, GoFundMe Street Life Ministries. You'll see it there. Great, great. Well, once again, um, thank you for this, and I look forward to hearing more about what you're accomplishing, and I'm sure we will definitely be, <laughs> we'll create something powerful. Yeah, so, no, no, you no. Know. We, we definitely will. I want to also give a big shout out to my beautiful wife. Um, she was um, um, the one who, 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 who I was waiting for to start it all over again. So uh, I was happy that um, she came to my life as well. Great, great. Well, thank you. And I look forward to seeing you soon. All right, my friend. All right now. This is why I love doing this podcast. When I get to share the story about this extraordinary man, Pastor Forbes, and his journey to help thousands of people each day that we often overlook. Check out his website, streetlifeministry.org. Black Men Speak was written, produced, and edited by me, Keith Den. You can find previous episodes wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you're a regular listener, please share this podcast with a friend and subscribe. As always, we like to end the show with a quote. It comes from one of the main characters from one of my favorite movies, Pursuit of Happiness, and his name is Chris Gardner. And the quote goes like this. Walk that walk and go forward all the time. Don't just talk that talk. Walk it and go forward. Also, the walk didn't have to be long strides. Baby steps counted too. Go forward. This is Keith Dent from the Black Men Speak Podcast. Peace.